Club Kids and Goths. Trim the frayed ends from your galloons, add an additional gusset to your parachute pants, and you've got just ten minutes till we go to the runway. Make it work. It's time to work it, bitch. Let's talk tall to me. Welcome back. I am Omen Sade, and I am Nick McGill. Together, we are feckless moms, and this is Talk Tall to Me, an all-star fashion show on the glittering catwalk of Prague Rock, in which Nick Nip and Tuck McGill and Omen Organza Sade will throw our discerning eye over every perfectly tailored song ever-evolving rock band Jethro Tull has ever released, and we will decide if they are in or out. Yes, with our infinity scarves wrapped haphazardly around our necks, we will put a flower in Martin Buttonhole Bar, let out the seams of David Princess Line Peg, and dust off the espadrilles of Eddie Embroidery Jobs and... And with any luck, we will capture the eye of flute fashion taste masker himself in Armani Anderson. Did way back in the triptych, did you say g- galoon? A galoon, yes. Galo- what is a galoon? A galoon is a an em- it, it's an embellishment that is made from a piece of cord or rope. It's it's like piping that goes oh, on a okay. garment. That takes the form of of a of a like a rope. Interesting. Yeah. Nick, hello. Hello, Owen. How are you? I'm excited because I I love fashion. Fashion, as, as you know, uh-huh. and as some of our listeners may know, and uh, and I have an excuse to talk about it a little bit with this episode. That's right. I think we will talk about it. I think we'll talk about it plenty. Actually, yeah. And we're, we've got nothing else, so let's dive right into the fashion of this album in particular, shall we? Let us do indeed. So this is the album. This is that the very special album where everybody wore Tyvek jumpsuits on tour. Yes. The, those like papery, plasticky jumpsuits. And everybody wore different colors. Originally, they were going to be wearing all white, but... Eddie Jobson is like, no, I'm a special guest. I want to wear purple. Oh, my God. (laughs) So then when they said, okay, well, we can't have everybody white and have Eddie be purple. Let's have everybody have their own colors. So Ian was in white. Martin was in red. Dave was in green. Mark was in blue. And Eddie was in purple. Makes a lot of sense, actually, because if you have everyone in white, it can kind of wash out, especially with the lights. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So so they, they kind of... They acquiesced to Eddie's Eddie's demands there, and everybody was, you know, you know, you've been under stage lights, sure. You've run around under stage lights. Oh yes. You've played instruments under stage lights. I yeah. assume. You, it gets hot. It gets hot. Yeah, and you get sweaty. The funny thing is that Tyvek was invented by the Dupont Company in 1955 as. As a thin insulation, it was it's used commonly in um, for wrapping houses to keep yeah. the weather out. 
It keeps out water and air. <laughs> yeah, so it's exactly the kind of thing that you want to put on if you plan on sweating to death in a concert. For two two hours, yeah. So the, the big problem with Ian's in particular, the white one, is it became transparent when it got soaked. Oh, interesting. <laughs> he right. said he sweated like a pig under the lights. Now, to, to branch out from the fashion of the tour and to talk a little bit about the tour itself, the audience did not like Eddie in the live shows. Interesting. Because it felt like he was competing with Ian in terms of showmanship. Well, and actually that's something that Ian, I think at some point we read a a little quote that Ian sort of had the realization that like, oh, I better be careful. Yeah. That's why he pulled Martin back in. He's like, we need a guitar in this band. Otherwise, it's going to be the flute guy and the violin guy, and we're going to go head to head. Right, right, right. Like the like the mockumentary Spinal Tap. They've got two lead singers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So Eddie, Eddie set himself apart right from the very beginning. He showered and put on makeup every night. He ha- always had his own dressing room. And like it was mentioned in the notes that he shot or in the I think it was in a, one of the magazines that I have. He showered and put makeup on every night. That is remarkable because obviously the other band members didn't. The kind of life on the road, you know. He even had his own foot switch to activate a spotlight for his solos. For himself. For himself. No one should be given that amount of power. No, 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 exactly. And finally, not only did the audience not terribly like Eddie, the crew didn't like Eddie either. Really? On the last gig of the tour, this happened on the last gig of the tour. So Eddie had two keyboards like back to back so he could stand at one and then pivot and then play at the other one so he could get the two sounds or whatever yeah the last night of the tour they set them just far enough apart no (laughs) that he could not play them like one hand on each he could not reach them both (laughs) that's so funny that's very mean it's very cruel and you know, Johnson has an incredible pedigree as a as a musician. He he played with the Frank Zappa band for a couple of years in the Oh sure, yeah. In the seventies. Uh he won a lifetime achievement award from Progressive from the Progressive Music Awards uh-huh. in two thousand seventeen. And he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall in, of Fame. Holy cow. He got in before Tull. Well done. Well, he got in in uh, 2019. Still before tall. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and if you look at pictures of the man, you can tell that he's a very poised, dramatic figure. I can I can imagine, you know, he's very he looks very put together. Yeah, which is a little bit a little bit off of what Ian's aesthetic has had traditionally been at the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Very very sharp features very very piercing stare especially those really those older those older images of him he's a, got a very very angular face that really kind of makes it very intense he has as the drag queens say cheekbones for days yes he he has more than enough cheekbones than anyone needs and finally this tour is the tour that was recorded for the slipstream video so it was it was a live tour video that was released on VHS, I believe it looks like. Interesting. In 81. Yep. So it was one of their, I think it was probably one of their first tour videos, but it also had music videos 
for Dunring Gill, Filingdale Flyer, Sweet Dream, Too Old to Rock and Roll as well. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really cool. I'm sure a lot of our Tall Skulls have already seen that video. But uh, that is actually something I, I'm going to look into myself. I'm going to look into myself for it. Please do. I hope that you just sanitize your endoscope both before and after. Now, Nick, speaking of looking into things, what is the song about which we are talking tall about? What is the song about which we are talking tall this week? So I I was basing that, that talk about the costumes on the loose premise that the song is uniform because they were wearing uniforms, you know, mm-hmm. bit of a segue, a little bit. Yeah. A hint of a segue. So we are talking uniform today. This is song number seven off of A. It is the third track off of side B. So we are just at the halfway point. Let's see. This was recorded on June 1st in 1980 at the Maison Rouge studio. Take five was our master here. Seems to be a common theme, the fifth take. Yeah, they're, they're getting up into the fives usually. Let's see, a comment from Ian. It's about uniforms in the broadest sense. Okay, then. Thanks. Thank you for that contribution, Ian. Ian. Let's have a listen. (laughs) Unicorn. Nick McGill. Omen Sade. Have you ever worn a uniform of any type? I I mean, I was in a lot of shows. I wore, like, uniforms for shows. You mean costumes? Yeah, but it was of a uniform. Oh, okay. What was your favorite? (laughs) Like, my favorite uniform? Yeah. I mean, the one that I wore as Lepidus, the unknown third of the triumvirate in Julius Caesar. That was pretty good. It had epaulets, and it was like it was a nice military uniform. That was pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's about it. Good talk. Yeah. (laughs) I think the only real world uniform that I've ever worn was in marching band in high school. Oh, snap. Where you played the tambourine, right? I did. I did play the tambourine with, I had one on each of my butt cheeks and I would clap them together. You clenched it with every step. Yeah. No, I actually played the flute. That's right. Um, I hated that uniform because it was awful. Because That's our school ju- was very poor, and so they, they didn't have a very good-looking uniform. Yeah, that is a, a justifiable reason to hate a uniform. Yeah. I would say. Nick. Oh, man. Is this a song, Enjoyment of Which You Have? I know I said last week that that batteries not included uniform and four-wheel drive all, like, they make this this triptych of songs that I don't like the content about, so I don't really like the songs. Sure. But really listening to this song and and reading along with the lyrics and li- re- like really listening to the music, this song has is redeemed in my eyes. I dig the hell out of this song, actually. Really? It's a lot of fun, yeah. I do really like this song. That's, um, that is surprising to me. I, I did not expect that. What, 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 what redeems it for you? Where... Where do you kind of get a tickle from this song? The the poetry, Ian, we see a, a really nice touch of Ian's poetry here, which I don't think we've, we've, it, I, I don't want to say we haven't seen it in a while, but I, the, I feel like there's, he really hit something here with the lyrics on this. I really like 
I really like the imagery that he's giving us here. Got a lot of colors, got a lot of like really beefy sentences to 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 evoke in the mind. And also, yeah. I mean, I, I got to tell you, Eddie Jobson's violin really nails it home for me. I love that sound. He's not a bad violinist. He's uh, he's really Jobsoning all over the place. And there's there's something I think it falls similar in the regard in the regards of like synthesizer in general like oh it's not a real piano it's not real music sure. there's like you you can't not notice that it's an electric violin but there's something and i love me some violin and, and fiddle i really yeah, do yeah, yeah. but there's something so unique about that electric violin sound it's i don't know it's, it's so it's so clean it's so crisp it's so yes. it's it's it doesn't evoke the same passion that I get from hearing someone like really go to town on a fiddle, but it's I don't know there's something there about it that I really do enjoy. Well, it's worth noting that he wasn't just playing any violin. He his electric violins were custom made for him. Mm. So he had obviously and you know he strikes me as a as a gentleman who has very specific desires. Oh, I mean, pur- purple purple Tyvek jumpsuit included, yeah. It will be purple. Yeah. So that I may go out into the purple rain. <laughs> I am not a part of Jethro Tull. I'm a special guest. I'm a big boy. <laughs> but, no, so no doubt it was something that he really worked on to get that sound. Yeah. I have a little excerpt here from the book A Passion Play, The Story of Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull by Brian Raby. Yeah. Give out of me. which I have read at various points. On the topic of the of his position in the band, the author corresponded with him through e- emails. Oh yes, yep, we we heard that. And once, asked yeah. him, you know, where did he see himself in terms of the history of the band? Jobson replied, "A small footnote: a special guest performer yeah. brought in to offer a different character for a brief period." I think it would have been. Not that it's terribly remarkable, remarkable, but I think it would have been less remarkable if this had maintained its course as a solo album, right? Like, because then oh, you wouldn't have yeah. to say special guest of Jethro Tull. Then it would just be Ian Anderson and his his collective group of musicians that just sure. so happened to, to have uh, Eddie Jobson. That was basically the deal, you know, when they did transition from being a solo album to being a Jethro Tull album. That was that was partly where the special guest billing came sure came about yeah he goes on after the album was finished i returned to the u.s but it was so difficult for them to tour with the material without my participation so i agreed (laughs) to do the one tour with them provided again i received special guest billing throughout oh my god it turned out to be the most enjoyable tour i've ever done oh hey that's nice afterwards as planned i returned to my solo projects I was so badass, they couldn't possibly replicate it. I had to come back. They begged me. They told me my timing <laughs> jumpsuit could be any color of the rainbow. <laughs> Nick, well, let's dive into the music. Sure, yeah. I Obviously, this is a violin-heavy song. We start out right with it. Yep. It's also a bass-heavy song. Oh, so bass-heavy. Peggy is knocking it out with the bass. It's super funky. In my notes, I described the bass as swelly. 
Yeah, it's it is chunky. It's like serpentine. It's swollen with 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 juices. Turgid. It's turgid. It's there's also like too not it's not tuberous. Tuberous? No, it's not tumult. No. I can't I can't. Mashed. Um mashed. Uh, deep fried. bangers and mash bangers and mash yeah, yeah it's succulent this base oh, okay is. Succulent. yeah yeah it has so on a tech on a technical level if we throw our minds back to the base stylings of jeffrey hammond hammond there is a distinct note 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 everything is is fairly staccato you know the sure you hear the yeah. notes individually even when ian plays the bass it's pretty like dum 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 if you think about living in the past and that classic bass line, each of the notes is distinct. Whereas David Pegg is sliding his hands and his fingers all over the neck of the bass. Wherever they should be. And and bending sl- and sliding those notes from tone to tone. So you get that wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a really different take on the bass. It's a different approach to the instrument. Even John Glasscock's attack on the bass is not, was not... Th- that turgid you know it was it was more powerful and and he did a lot of very fast uh melodic runs but they yeah. they didn't have that kind of slide to them the the connected notes yeah it's not it wasn't clean per se but it it, it certainly wasn't this all, all one piece it wasn't all all of the same Basically, you you never stop touching the bass. <laughs> Dave Pegg never stopped touching the bass. <laughs> he plays it like it's a trombone. Yes, he's he's tromboning it all night long. Yes. So, the violin in here, this is this is clearly supposed to be the flute, right? Like, if Eddie Jobson weren't here, this would be a flute. This would be the flute part. I guess so. Or, or I guess you could try to do some of it on the piano. Yeah. I also think that, you know, for the album, this is like the, this is the violin spot. Right, right. If you, if you, I don't know, is this, this is like the one and only like really super violin song off the track, yeah, off I the album. So. so is this like Ian, Ian said, oh yeah, let's give Eddie one, you know, maybe. I think it's, you know, I think that when, if you bring in Eddie Jobson, you're going to want to showcase his mad violin skills at some point. Right. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, okay. So this is a moment in which they can really showcase his incredible skill on the violin. Was the song written to do that? Or was this a song that had the space for that kind of attack yeah. to it? Who knows? Right, right. And and lest we forget that Ian Anderson is there with his flute, he comes in halfway through at his solo just to remind everybody. However, even with that, it's it's really, I think demonstrative of their relationship as musicians and perhaps why Ian was a little nervous about, you know, about getting overtaken because I get it. Yeah. Whereas when Ian and Martin do a a, a solo together or a duo together, you hear flute, 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 guitar, guitar, flute, 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 guitar, 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 flute, flute, guitar. You know, they really have this effortless and very complicit sense of when to switch off one to the other. With this, yeah. Eddie Jobson just starts going with the violin and he does not stop for flute or high water. Yeah. Yeah, and when even when Ian does come in, they don't they don't meld. They they work to, they're going in the same direction. Yes. But they they there's no 
There, there's no real harmony there. It doesn't sound bad. No, no, but it is parallel tracks with the two instruments sort of ignoring each other, it seems. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good way to put it, yeah. being said i think i think i realized why one of the the things that i like so much about the electric violin and it may be just this sound specifically Mm -hmm. with with electric violin is there's a there's a level of of haunting to it oh sure there's there's like just a a, probably just a hair of echo on there or something that makes it it just feels like it's it's a a single man in this really echo this huge echo chamber like playing the heck out of this violin and, and there's something about that sound particularly this sound in this song that really i just i i'm digging the heck out of eddie jobson i might have to look up some of his other stuff well let's talk about some of his other stuff yeah so eddie jobson started his musical career at least his recording career in 1973 he was with a band called curved air yep mm-hmm. this is this is a band that released an album called Air Cut in 1973. They released <laughs> another album in 1990 called Love Child. Oh, wow. Which was apparently recorded in 73. Oh, not unheard of. I mean, we saw D do that sure. with, with Talis. With Talis. Yep, 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 yep. Um, he was with Roxy Music for yep. several years. Okay. He has a handful of solo albums. He has Yesterday's Boulevard and the Green Album, Theme of Secrets. The Green Album is what he he was recording or what he was working on when he got pulled into A, if I remember correctly. Yes, because it was released a couple of years later in, in yeah. 83. Yeah. Um, he also played with, with Frank Zappa. And of course, he played with, uh, with Jethro Tull. Now, is that the green album from Weezer that released when we were in high school, or is that a is that a different album? It is not the Weezer album. Okay, okay, I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> no, it is a it is a, it is an album with titles such as Transporter, Resident, Easy for You to Say, Nostalgia, Green Face, etc. Got to be careful doing Green Face nowadays. You cancel culture, will just shut you right down. That's right. That's right. <laughs> As we know, obviously, he's a multi-instrumentalist, and I think that's part of the reason that Ian wanted to work with him. Also, you know, sure. we know that Ian was a big Frank Zappa fan, and so there's probably a little bit of wanting to capture that magic. Yeah, the, not necessarily fanboy, but I'm sure Eddie contributed something to the, the Frank Zappa, so he, he wanted exactly. to, to, to pull that in. Less yeah. fanboy and more admirer man. A, a, appreciative gentleman. Yes. Speaking of the... Jobson, speaking about his contributions to Tull, says, With Tull, I primarily used a Yamaha CS80 synth, a Mini Mm. Moog, and a Yamaha CP70 piano, as well as my custom electric violins. (laughs) Don't forget it. Purple jumpsuit, custom electric violins. Got it. They called me Mini Moog in high school. They they did. They did. I remember that. (laughs) Although, I understand why the futuristic approach didn't sit too well with everyone. 
Even I prefer the old England folksy style that typifies the tall we all know and love. Huh. However, the A album and tour were meant to be different and serve as a colorful departure in the long view. Yeah, the more the more of these snippets that I hear, the more I I think why wasn't this a solo album? But we know why it wasn't yeah. a solo album and we know that the era ended and and they needed to move on and like the episode that just dropped today, Crossfire, so it was the start of A was yeah. the episode that dropped today. We talk about if if this had been a solo album, would Tull have continued? Like, well, I and know. I and I do it's... think that that was what Chris Ellis was worried about. Yeah, just to, Terry Ellis. Just to button up a final little thing from from Mr. Jobson regarding his time with Tull, he says, "My participation in the Tull chronology, as important as it was to me, doesn't warrant too much space." Sure, I mean, I mean, what do you? What do you say to that when you've got Frank Zappa on your your resume? You've got Curved Air, you've got Roxy Music, well, and you've got a slew of solo albums. I think that what he means is doesn't warrant too much space in the book about Jethro Tull. Oh, he's oh, saying, he he's himself. Saying, Listen, I just oh, dipped in for this one little moment. Humility. Okay. Yes, humility. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's notable. I think it certainly warrants at least a footnote, if not a paragraph. With cheekbones like that, you can afford to be hu- humid. <laughs> humid? You have to, you have to be What's humid. What's the word I'm looking for, Nick? Humble? Oh, thank you. <laughs> English is a slippery little language, isn't it? <laughs> humid and humble. <laughs> Lovely. Anything else to add about music from your brain? At, there, I can't pinpoint it i couldn't tell you where it happens in the song but i know on at least two or three occasions there's a second voice in the back like a shouting voice no 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 no. that's that's that was i was going to comment on that after but there's like a squeaky high-pitched harmony going on in the back i don't know if it's dave peg or if it's if it's ian really pushing himself i don't i don't know who it is or maybe it's maybe it's some air leaking out of one of their suits it might, it, yeah, they've they've sprung a leak, but there is in these in like a, just a couple of instances, and I've never heard it before, uh-huh. so it's very pulled back. But there there's some attempt at harmony, in, and I don't think it's consistent when it happens either. But also, I want to talk about the 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 like the yelling that you said. I think it's right before. Eddie goes to town on the solo. I think it's Ian yelling, go, Eddie, go. Is it? I think so. I thought it was him shouting, uniform! Oh, it might have been. I don't know. I I want to think that it was go, Eddie, go. I'll take it. I'll, I, I'm happy either way. <laughs> I'll try to find it and drop it in here. Hopefully... Uh, and our listeners can can be the judges. Yes. You tell us. Sound off in the comments. There are no comments. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. Send in, send in Carrier Pigeon. Just write, go, Eddie, go. And I just send those. And then say that to your carrier pigeon, who also happens to be named Eddie. Eddie, conveniently enough. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's dive into lyrics here. Nick, you noted the references to color in this song. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. a great observation. I often find that whenever we have... That that sometimes in these lyrics, color is a really great entryway. Yeah. If you think of songs like 
is it Salamander where we have or no 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 strip cartoon? Oh yeah, where we have where we we had the whole discussion about all of the colors referenced in the songs are mostly these these kind of shades these shades of gray and yeah. then you have like one color literally cutting through. It really a pop is of color. red, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we have black, yellow, gray, silver, white, golden, green, green down at the bottom. Yep, and then back to white at the end. Yeah, and it's it's all um it's what we wear, you know. People people are colorful colorful creatures even if they are in uniform. Well, and colors each have a have a symbolic and sociological purpose. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. in terms of the referencing of colors, this is the most CPV, this is the highest rate of CPV that we have in maybe any tell song. Colors I don't know. colors Color. reverse. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I think you're right actually. There are a there when I when I mentioned colors, I didn't I, I didn't even realize how many there were, but yeah, this is the CPV value on here is probably it's it's one full uniform of CPV. Yes, that's right. And then we'll we'll break it down accordingly. So I mean, you want to you want to jump in and 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 go step by step here. Anything jump out at you? It's it's a peculiar song for for Ian in the sense that it's it's less a a narrative and it's more a series of snapshots. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not super rare, but it it feels it's it's one of those where it feels like this might have been Ian d- describing what he sees. Yeah, you know, this yeah. is one of those feelings, and maybe he saw like one or two instances that we see here, and then it it just it kind of snowballed the idea. Well, and in the rock and roll world, fashion has always been really important. Sure, and I think that yeah, at this point there was maybe a transition to artists being a lot more conscious of what they were wearing on stage and really making that really getting into the fashion of it whereas you know with with Tull it always had the what people were wearing was almost more costume yes absolutely everybody had their own thing you know Ian and his carpet coat and bowler and Jeffrey Hammond Hammond in his like the stripe was it the stripe dot the stripes black and white stripes yeah, yeah. the ice cream suit of of John Evan. Yeah. 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 Wait, no, John Evan had the black and white, didn't he? No, no, no. That was, that was Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. That was Jeffrey. It matched okay. his base. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Martin kind of just like old man chic. Right. Or, right, or just right. old man, not even chic, I think. Well, and then, and then there's the whole bunny costume, you know. Well, sure. Yeah. It's very, it's very costumey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that those, before they got into those, before they kind of fell into those archetypes you know they they did have more costumes like too old to rock and roll and passion play you know they 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 fit into these these overarching narratives uh that they're of the stories they're telling on, in concert and even the even the tyvek suits you know those are those are typically worn by workmen you know or right you know they're they're functional they're it's almost a, a rejection of fashion yeah, right. I think that's that's a great point. I think before we forget to mention that uniforms are meant to make people lose their personality in a sense, you know, you, you lose their individuality, become a singular unit. Their individuality, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, to to varying degrees, but that I mean that's ultimately what a uniform is. That's right. So that when, yeah. you know, they have a military origin, so that when you you face off against your, your your enemy. You see, oh my God, they're, they're so organized. They're like a single unstoppable force. Yeah. Whereas, you know, now in the 80s, you're starting to get fashion designers 
realizing, oh my gosh, these artists can be an incredible platform for my designs. And so you sure. have people like Gucci designing bespoke one-of-a-kind outfits for people like Madonna or or Prince or um, David Bowie. Yeah, I was yeah, I was gonna say Prince Bowie. Yeah, Madonna, very good. Everybody who is who's so theatrical in their presentation, they are they are a palette for these designers. And and yeah, design really started to boom in the eighties right. with, with all of this stuff. And there's a yeah. huge there's an intersection between dis- fashion and rock and roll. And I think that Ian mm-hmm. probably feels quite uncomfortable with all of that. Or is or is just disinterested. Which is why why when he made the bold fashion choice, it was basically a sleeping bag. It was a garbage bag right, exactly. with arms and legs. <laughs> well, I mean, just his personality. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Gucci being like, "Ah, oh, yes, Mister Ian, we've designed you this custom suit." Yeah, as 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 long as I can wear it under my trench coat and bowler hat, sure. Right. Yeah. So we have this description of different types of clothing, and and in a way, what they how they communicate. Mm-hmm. I love the line of silver streaks and t-shirts so precisely torn. Silver streaks and t-shirts so yeah, precisely torn. Yeah, like you can buy jeans that are fashionably ripped already. Distressed, you know? we say, yes. Yeah, distressed. I'm sorry, distressed. Right, yeah. and that's more expensive than buying a, a pair of jeans that doesn't have any holes in it. And then just fucking wearing them. Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love the the reference of strange foreign chaps in white bed sheets. That's yeah. I was going to ask you about that. Is that a is that a KKK reference? No, I don't think so. I think it's a I think it's a reference to the uh, Arab and and specifically the Saudi. Uh, oh, robe okay. Called a, sure. A uh, thawb. Oh, interesting. Or al- okay. also in various dialects called a, a tobe or thob. Yes. Okay. I think I've heard Tobe before. Yeah. But it's that it's that white garment. And then you have the the white headdress with a little circly bit around the top. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then the next set. This verse is my favorite. I think here. See golden haloed men of high renown prance to the politician's beat, mm. well tailored in unswerving elegance with shoes by Gucci on their feet. See Another, another like religious Catholic churchy, well, not necessarily Catholic, another churchy oh. reference here of men who should be humble wearing rags doing God's work are prancing to the politicians beat. So they're, they're serving what the politicians ask them to do. And they're wearing friggin' Gucci on their feet. See, this is, this is a really interesting thing that you picked up that I that I never did. The golden haloed man. I I never connected that to, the, to religion. But that oh, makes okay. that makes so much sense. But to me it feels a little interesting. I feel like it's the opposite here in the states. I think I feel like it's the politicians who dance to the golden haloed men, you know, it's the republicans who bow to the people in power in 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 the catholic church, you know, cuz that's their constituency. I think it I think that the sword cuts both ways. It it certainly does, yeah. I think the 
I think the seam is on both sides. It is. And it's a fashion choice. So it's okay. So it's excusable. It's double seamed. Nick, one of the things that I love about this verse, the, the thing that I got from it was well-tailored in unswerving elegance with shoes by Gucci on their feet. Huh. I was thinking of that more in terms of the politicians and, and how mm. modern menswear, specifically the suit, has become, in a sense, a uniform. Sure. It's like it's the political uniform. And the, sure. And the business uniform. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. If you go downtown in, you know, in the financial district in New York City around lunchtime and you see all all the people coming out of the offices to go get lunch. uh, I mean, it does look like an army and they're, you know, and and it's interesting because they're, it's a reason I love the modern suit so much is because it does have that sense of uniformity, but then it's all the subtle details and which is how you express your individuality. Yeah. and, And there is something to be said about wearing a really nice, well-fitting suit. There's nothing like it. Like there's, I, I'm not. I'm not being facetious here. Like boy, howdy. No, it's, it's like there is something about it. Yeah, it makes. Yeah, there's nothing. There's no other feeling in the world. Yeah, I don't think I'd like to do it every day. No, but but when I do pop on a suit, mm, yeah. oh mercy, if it fits, if it if it fits right, yeah. And the the modern suit as we know it was invented by uh, by Bo Brummel. A, a English man of fashion. He was he was he, he had enough nobility to get an income and enough free time to squander it. Sure, right. So he had a very good time. He made clothes basically, or he designed clothes. He invented a a style of dress. So at the time, it was still you know waistcoats and and wigs and all this frilly lace and everything. And he yep, paired it way yep. way back. He kind of took inspiration from the, from the military. Mm. He put on this. Re- he had this really really tight fitting pants that he actually needed help getting into. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And then he he had designed for him this sleek black jacket that has that wow. modern silhouette that we think of. Yep. And then he just went around London insulting people for their <laughs> fashions. And that was it. That's that was his thing. Did you say when this was? Is this, what is this, Victorian? He was he, roughly, yeah. He was born in 1778 and died in okay. 1840. So, yeah. <laughs> From several gunshot wounds of people he he offended. <laughs> yes. So apparently there was a there was an incident that started the downfall of, of Brummel's career in which he was at a party with the ascendant king who was, who was a little rotund and was very conscious of his weight. And when he was... He, they they knew each other, but at a certain point, somebody w- was going to introduce them formally, and he turned. Brummel turned to his friend and said, "Alvany, who is your fat friend?" <laughs> <laughs> which which was his style. He was that was you know he was this cutting, sure. really bitchy dude, even to the king. Well, and that's that's when it went down. Started to go downhill for him. Anyway, yeah. we we digress, Nick. So just if if anyone's interested, Bo. Brummel, B-E-A-U-B-R-U-M-M-E-L-L. What a, what a character. Yeah, absolutely. What a character. Yes, digression, we have done it. It's, that was actually more relevant than most digressions we do. So we get into our kind of a chorus. I, kind of I guess I would call it a bridge. It's not a chorus, yeah. yeah. How do you know who the hell you are? Wake up each day under a different mm. star. Dressed to the nines, meet yourself going home like a clone, smartly dressed in your pressed uniform. I love uniform. That. How do you know who the hell you are? 
I love the I love meet yourself going home. Yeah, like a clone. That that clothes are so similar that you might see someone dress exactly like yeah. you. Yeah. So is the how do you know who the hell you are? Is that because you dress the same way as everybody else every single day? How do you know what your what your person is, your personality, or mm-hmm. is it how how do you know who you are? Oh, this is who you are. You put on the milkman suit. Interesting. I I think I think it works both ways. You know, I think it that does. It really does. In a way, it is an observation that the clothes maketh the man, as they say. They do say that, yeah. Or as RuPaul says, we're all born naked and the rest is drag. Sure. I think Bo Brummel uh, said that originally. Bo Brummel was the RuPaul of his time. Of the 1800s, yeah. yeah. Bo Brummel may actually be a Highlander and has now taken on the, the personage yeah, of it's possible. RuPaul. It's possible. Or it could be, oh, I've lost the train of thought, but yes, I think it's I think it's an observation and a caution that, you know, the clo- clothes inform other people who you are. They subconsciously or overtly affect the way that we act ourselves. Sure. And it's possible to lose yourself in them. And I may think that right. Ian would be very critical of people, especially other artists, who were all faff and no substance, who would come on stage and right. know, dressed gorgeously and have no content. I'm thinking of... I'm thinking of the Backstreet Boys. I'm thinking of NSYNC. I'm thinking Rolling Stones. Uh, why not? Yeah. yeah. Why not, I say. Definitely fashion conscious. Very fashionable. Very, like, that's a, I mean, that's, Mick Jagger is a facade, you know? A beautiful facade. Oh, it's, it's, he's a, he's a bony facade now, but I mean, he was a beautiful <laughs> Clothes facade. Clothes just hang off him. <laughs> and then we get into the final verse. White battle dress on a green pitch, proud eleven beneath the swelling box so neat. White battle dress on green pitch, proud eleven beneath the swelling box so neat. That is a, 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 a cricket reference. It sure is, yeah. The teeming millions of the future fly the spinning cricket ball to cheat their all uniform. The I also have a little a little uh, insight into that from Ian. Oh, please. So beneath the swelling box so neat, the teeming millions of the future fly. His response to that is, that's a good sperm count. So that is, that, yeah. Wait. Beneath the swelling box so neat, the teeming millions of the future fly. That is a reference to copulation. Wow. Yeah. And finally, the they're all uniform is, uh, he says, is is the human race. We are all human. We're all cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Interesting that he can go, I mean, this is why we love Ian. He can go from a description of a cricket pitch as a battlefield to a sperm explosion without taking a breath. The, the ejaculatory celebration that is cricket. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. The most exciting of all sports. 
The only game that lasts three weeks straight. Much like Sting's ejaculation. That's it, yeah. So worth noting that bands that were coming to prominence at this exact time, uh, not quite, some of of them are, you know, a year or so later, but Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Stripper with a Y. That sounds like a hair metal band to me. Yep. Scorpions. They were even earlier. Rat with two T's. White Snake. Yep. Kiss. You know, all of these, all you could, you could accuse any of those bands of being, you know, Aerosmith. You couldn't, you couldn't accuse them all of being Aerosmith. <laughs> That's that is a fact. You could not. Um, I could think of one of them you could accuse, though. <laughs> it's and it's, it's Scorpions. Yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that that eighties hair metal pageantry, which frankly you know? I love. I know you do love that. You do love that. I love it. There's a certain there's a certain level of nostalgia that I I feel because my my older brother used to play the hell out of all of those. Sure. There is there that was their uniform, you know, if you wanted to be 80s hair metal, mm-hmm. it's called hair metal for a reason. Mm-hmm. They had these great big teased out hairs, probably weren't wearing shirts, wearing tight jeans or leather pants. Eyeliners for, you know, I, eyeliner for, for eyeliner for days, maybe a scarf. Maybe, you know, to <laughs> a tasteful scarf. Yeah. And, you know, Nick, this kind of gets into, and this is relevant to the song. I read a description of, you know, what does the what does the word fashion mean? And it used to mean what is in, you know, what is fashionable? Ah, the fashion has changed. And so now we will wear this instead of this. But that was a much older concept. You know, like whole societies would dress in a certain way. A whole cultures would dress sure. in a certain way. The kilt is representative of, of it is the Scottish fashion because it, yeah. it is representative of that culture. But in the last century, we've that's that's fragmented and we get now what some people call fashion tribes. You get huh. the punk kids, you get the goth, oh, you get sure. the emo kids, you get the the other <laughs> you know, the hair bands, you know, that's an the example. The jocks, of like, the preps, yeah. The preps, the the stoners, you know, you can identify someone from miles off by what fashion tribe they belong to. And with that, yeah. you know, along with that goes a lot of information. I think that a lot yeah. of this is a, is a rejection of that for Ian. Sure. Yeah. And it was, I think it was just starting around this era of, of maybe seeing those tribes kind of cementing themselves in a way. Co-heating co- and coalescing because... Because you have a visual medium really coming into prominence. Oh, sure, that's a great point. Yeah. Now, now it's on TV, and so what? What perhaps at one point, like the the mods and the greasers, was mm-hmm. sort of a local thing, at least in right. terms of England. Yeah. Now, if someone wears something fantastic, people across the world are going to want to wear it. Right. People want to be like the Fonz. They see him on happy days. You see those clumps of people wearing leather jackets and jeans and a white t-shirt. Nick, I want you to describe to me, item by item, what you are wearing right now. (laughs) What is the fashion that you're wearing at this moment? It's it's upstate comfort is what it's called. Tell me what it is. I'm wearing a great big baggy sweat, uh, rainbow tie-dye sweatshirt. This is finger lakes on it. It's very comfortable. A t-shirt. What t-shirt is this? Oh, it's an upstate coffee company t-shirt. Perfect. Called Crow, Crow City Coffee. Yeah. Crow City Roasters. A pair of jeans with holes in the knees. Did you buy them with the holes? 
No, they were work pants, so they they naturally they're naturally occurring holes, and and slippers, amazing socks socks and slippers. That's upstate comfort, my friends. And you look great. I I feel great. There, well, that's what that's what's really that's one of the Isn't things that, that's important. That is one of the more important things. Yeah, yeah. Omen, if this song was a fashion trend, oh, what would it be? Wow. It'd be something really almost nihilistic. I feel like it would be, it'd be like, oh man, it's interesting because it, it describes so many things. Right. But what does the sound of it evoke to you? I'm getting, I'm getting very knit vibes. I'm getting a lot of like, oh, interesting. Like maybe very dark, muted, like black. But the silhouette's really great. Like maybe there's kind of a cape. Maybe there's a really huge, like an oversized scarf, you know, but everything has, everything is very textured, like woven materials. Slightly emo cottage core. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yes, that's it. That's it. Like monochromatic New York City, really sharp angles, but everything is, but everything is like hand dyed wool. But very, very sleek and chic and sexy. Sexy At the wool. same time. Yeah. Yeah. Ba-ba, baby. Ba-ba. Next week, Omen said, I don't need to ask you what song we are covering next week. Next week, we are covering one of my all-time favorite Jethro Tull songs. I'm just shaking my head right now in this silence, just my head shaking. Four-wheel drive, low stereo. Sorry. Low stereo? Four-wheel drive, low ratio. That's right. Four-wheel drive next week. In the meantime... You can give us five little yellow lines in the shape of a star. You know, Nick, Coco Chanel always said, when you leave your house, take off one accessory. That's right. You can take off five accessories. You can take off five of those glamorous, glitzy stars that are maybe overburdening your silhouette. Sure. And you know what? Give them to us. We'll keep them in our star closet. The word star is in this song. I can't believe we missed that. (laughs) We want to wake up each day under five different stars. That's right. From you. Thank you so much. (laughs) You may not be able to afford a 1979 original Gianni Versace suit. Probably not. But you can afford membership in a very exclusive fashion club. Our Patreon. That's right. And you can wear whatever you want when you participate in conversations. You can be completely nude. We very rarely have any on-camera conversations. That's right. Or you can be head-to-toe in Karl Lagerfeld. I've, I've, I've been there before. He's very comfortable. He's... <laughs> Until next week... I am dressed, I'm not dressed to the nines, I'm dressed to the threes, Nick McGill.
I'm the strange foreign chap in your bedsheets, Homan said. <laughs> we are beneath the swelling box so neat, the feckless momes. And this is the spinning cricket ball, Talk Tell to Me. Welcome back, everyone, to a very special edition of Project Runway. I am Heidi Klum. This, as you know, is Tim Gunn. Hello, everyone. We're so happy to be here backstage with English rock band Jethro Tull. And we're just coming to do a little fashion consulting. It's time that we take a look at what they're wearing before they go out on stage. And we will uh, we'll, we'll give them some tips. Martin, Martin Barr, I'm so pleased to finally meet you. Heidi, wow, you know, what are we what are we looking at here? Is this a bustier? I think it's supposed to be a bustier, but it's not boosting anything. Martin, it needs to be tighter. It needs to lift. It's very Ralph Lauren if, if he had gone into industrial boiler making. Remember, M- Martin, it's all about the posture and separating. Let us see what you have to work with. Martin, this neckline is not doing you any favors, darling. You really, you know what? You have, you have, just have a couple of minutes. Here's a needle and thread. Martin, make it work. Now, John Evans, it, I want to say it's a bold choice what you're wearing here. Yes, I, Heidi, I would say it's seven or eight bold choices. And I'm just not sure that they go together. I mean... I, I love the Dorsey shoe. I, I'm I'm living for the I'm living for the for the galloons that you have just raining down from your shoulders. And I really I, I'm just I think this lace, you know, by itself would be wonderful. But altogether, I am asking myself, would anyone buy this in New York on Fifth Avenue? And I'm not sure. But but Tim, isn't it uh, doesn't it work together all all together? Isn't that in itself a choice? It's very, it's very Tom Ford if he had taken acid and read a book on maximalism, Heidi. I think to seal it, John, let's let's add one more element. Yes. Oh, you know what? You're so right. Here, I have this, I have this wonderful uh, Frusterberg hat that will just go marvelously with this. Pull it all together. There's the silhouette. Now, John, go out on stage and make it work. Perfect. Now, finally, what I'm the the, the one I'm most excited about. Mr. Ian Anderson, I I do have to say, the time of the bowler hat—it's—it's it's not—it's—it's—it's it's, it's last year. It's several years ago. I think we need to get rid of the bowler. Oh, Ian, you're simply giving me a headache. Heidi, I I just I don't know what I'm looking at here. Is this um? Is this is are these pants from J C Penny? I think we have uh I think we have a, a we're trying to go for a, a folk chic here, but I'm seeing a hint of a card piece. I'm seeing jodhpurs. I'm seeing a trench coat with many holes in it. And they're not even stylish holes. Cristobal Balenciaga is rolling in his grave right now. I felt it. I felt it in my soul. Now, Ian, what we need to work with here, we need to pick a single element and accentuate. Might I suggest the card piece? No, yes, I love that. I'm thinking I'm thinking card piece. I'm thinking shibori. I'm thinking traditional. I'm thinking stitch bonding. We need a tuck. We need a watau back. We need uh, weave fibers uh, playing counterpoint to each other. It's uh, get Donatella Versace on the phone. Ian, I need you to drop 30 pounds immediately. And we, folks, we only have a couple of minutes here. Ian, we're going to make it work. And most importantly, 
Ian, when you are wearing this garment, I need you to be thinking in your head. Tuck Taltimi is a proud member of the Feckless Moms audio network.